0: I didn't care about the pay. I just took it as a ticket to get out of the city and to see something outside of where I'm from. And long story short, that kind of changed my life because from the moment uh, I got past training and these kids came into the vicinity, I automatically knew that this was something that was going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to episode 90 of the show. Today's guest is Kenrick Wagner. Rick, as he's usually called, is a social entrepreneur and hip hop artist with over 15 years of professional music experience as a music educator, performer, recording artist, author, and producer. Henrik is the founder of Project Game Time, a keynote speaker and has been featured in Forbes. His life's work has been dedicated to providing top quality youth programming and really to building a generation of leaders that will use creativity to learn and thrive. I was so enlightened by my conversation with Rick. He talks about how he first got started with Project Game Time, why he made the decision to make the company a for-profit business, and really the lessons that he's learned and the lessons that he is looking to impart onto the next generation of leaders, including his own children. But before we jump into my conversation with Rick, I want to remind you to follow me on Instagram. That's the best place to stay on top of what's going on with the show. Find out who my guests are each week, as well as to stay in touch with my own entrepreneurial journey. You can find me at Dorothy Ilson. Now, without further ado, here's my chat with Rick Wagner. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm thrilled to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me, and so am I.
1: Oh, good. Well, so let's dive straight into it to set the stage for us. You know, what was life like for you growing up, and what was the mindset around money and success that was instilled in you as a child?
0: Well, I grew up in uh, Left City, Queens, New York. Um, originally born in LA, but you know, raised in uh, Queens, New York, and we didn't have much access to after-school programs and summer camps, as well as financial literacy. So the stage as far as uh, money and what it can do was kind of set by our environment, what we saw on TV, uh, what we saw in our neighborhoods, the people who tend to have money. So for myself growing up, the mindset was, if you had certain material things, that meant that you were rich. So the idea was finding out you know, how to acquire those great things.
1: Was that a positive association or a negative association, like rich people are bad or you know, greedy or whatever?
0: Actually, no. You know, I, I, I don't think I've ever thought about it as a good or a bad thing. I just thought of it as a I want and I need thing. The only negative connotation that came from rich or seeing people that were perceived to be rich was jealousy. Is that they have something that we can't have, so we just need to figure out how to get it, I and mean, we kind of resent it in a in a way, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, you know, tell me your story of you know, when you started your career, how you got into this whole social entrepreneurship world that you know you are so deep in right now.
0: Going to college, well, actually going to high school, and once I graduated. I took a break off of college and I decided that, you know, I wanted to get a career started. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. Um, a lot of people have told me personality, so I thought it would be comedy. Long story short, <laughs> I tried comedy out, but it wasn't paying no bills. It wasn't <laughs> no bills, right? it's a hard road. So um, actually, you know, my pathway was sparked by tragedy. Um, my sister, Patrice, who uh, she she died at 23 years old, and I was 20 at the time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, and, and I was kind of in this space, you know, dealing with death with someone so close to me, not knowing what to do and kind of close myself off to the world. And then I picked up a newspaper one morning, and I saw there was an application to be a camp counselor at Clearpool Camp in Brewster, New York. I just took it as, I didn't care about the pay, I just took it as a ticket to get out of the city and to see something outside of where I'm from. And long story short, that kind of changed my life because from the moment uh, I got past training and these kids came into the vicinity, I automatically knew that this was something that was going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Like being able to Inspire young people, to engage young people, and to give them a perspective outside of their neighborhoods, which I didn't have as a kid. So from there, I began to work for many nonprofits in the city, Brooklyn and Queens, and all over the place in after school programs, formally, informally, all that great stuff. And the turning point of the entrepreneurship came when I started to look at money and I started to look at what. I was getting paid and I did my own research on what, you know, companies period get paid whether nonprofit or for profit and I said, well, I could stay working for someone and hit myself on a ceiling at a certain amount of money or I could do the things that I love still give back and create a lot of autonomy for myself and, you know, have a, limit, a limitless um Direction on how much money I can make and and how I could kind of just create that and instill that in young people as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so often it's easy to fall into this trap of thinking that it's either or, right? You know, you have to be altruistic, you have to you know give back and make an an impact, or you get to make good money and have the the kind of life that you want to have. But it really isn't. I mean, I think. In not even just in that example, but in you know, really any situation that you run into that looks like an either or, I think the most powerful question you can ask is, you know, how can I have both? How can I make this an and situation rather than an or situation? And I think what is so amazing, you know, about what you've done, and you know, for for listeners of the show, I actually I met Rick or first heard about Rick through Scott from State Bags, who was also on the podcast. And I think, you know, both of you, it's just such a a shining example of the way that you can, you know, really have it all in a sense and, you know fulfill your entrepreneurial ambitions, your personal ambitions, and also make such an impact in the lives of kids. So you know, tell me, you know, what was your first business then? Like, Where did you, you know, take that idea and, and go next?
0: I guess the first idea when I decided to jump into the entrepreneurship, I started an after school called Embassy Kids. And Embassy was an acronym for Enhancing the Mind, Body, and Soul for Successful Youth. And program wise, what we would do is we would do hybrid type programming that were fun and then also educational. So like, for example, we had a class called sports science where kids would get to play sports, but then they would talk about the physiology. They would talk about all types of scientific types of uh, ideas and concepts, right? Centripetal force and speed. So um, that was my first taste of it. And um, that ran for about three years, did a fundraising event and, you know, State Bags was there and they helped me with a lot of that stuff and um, it became successful. But what I reached, uh, I, I reached my breaking point with that was I started to understand that there wasn't much a difference between nonprofit and for profit in terms of business to me. Because it's all about income and expense and balance, and it's just your direction. One means that you don't have to pay tax, and one does, and one gives you more, uh, you have more red tape as far as what you have to report and so on and so forth. So that actually catapulted into training, and that's where Project Game Time came where uh between the end of embassy, I you know and working with Scott and seeing what we were able to do to train youth development uh, professionals to be successful and to instill with them the uh, same feeling that I had when I first stepped onto a camp and didn't know what I was there for other than a check or getting away, and then had this feeling of wow, I'm making a difference. Wow, I'm seeing kids transform and look up to me and see me lead. How could I give the gift of that feeling to people? And that's where Project Game Time came with setting that feeling and that fire for people to want to do this work beyond just a paycheck.
1: Absolutely incredible. So tell me more about Project Game Time and what you do.
0: So Project Game Time is a professional development company and after school and summer camp consultant. And what we do is three things. We engage, we build, and we empower, right? It's very simple. We want to engage as many people as we can. We want them to build relationships with each other. And then we want them to we want to empower them with the skills to sustain that feeling, right? And and that uh that direction or that model. So as of right now, what we're doing is. A chunk of our business in the summer is training a lot of camps, whether it's in Pennsylvania, San Francisco, we're all over nationwide, and we're training camps in their camp orientation the week before the kids actually get to camp. We're firing them up, we're getting them moving, and we're we're giving them that feeling that only game time can do it, right? And then during the fall in the school, we do have a full after-school program that runs in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. And we have um, a hip-hop program, after-school program funded by 21st Century that operates in Newark, New Jersey.
1: So you know, tell me, what were the biggest challenges that you faced in the beginning in taking Project Game Time from an idea into a reality, a real business?
0: For me, it was funding. It was funding and it was networking. Project Game Time is a for-profit, but it also works with youth. And the perception is that when you work with youth or you have a company that's based around youth, that you should be a nonprofit, right? So my angle to be able to create funding and to get funding had to be a different approach. Couldn't be, I'm going to walk into certain schools because they're going to be like, well, we don't have money. We're going to find it, right? Um, So we angled ourselves to work with more charter schools, who have private funding. And then what would happen is now the government funded programs and the government stakeholders would see what we can do in the charters. And then we would build our clout and our network that way. As far as training is concerned, it was a little bit of the same. I would say more so the biggest challenge was the networking part, right? We started with a great camp called Tyler Hill um, and did some great work and they referred us to camps in our network in their network rather, but then you, it, it, it goes to, you know, there's a max out within one network, right? That word of mouth can only spread, but for so far, for so many regions. Um, so we have to, you know, we had to strategize how we're going to get into these different conferences that happen every year and how we're going to broaden our horizon. And that's what we've been doing. And it was a, it was a heck of a challenge, but you had, we had to stick with it.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I love that you, you know, that you touch on that on the relationship side because really when you're getting anything off the ground, the biggest asset that you have is your relationships, especially when, you know, funding is is a struggle. And so, you know, any tips for people who are, you know, in this place of getting something new off the ground, they're looking to build relationships with people who can help, you know, what would you say to that person? You
0: to you're going you're gonna to get out as much as you put in so you might as well go all out. Don't burn any bridges. And when you speak with people, maintain professionalism, whether it's in a business setting, a social setting or personal setting, you wanna make sure that you keep your integrity and, and you take the high road, especially in situations of difficulty or knowing that maybe you're talking to a demographic that is not exactly your lane. It still can it still can serve for something. So you might as well give that best impression you possibly can. Try to be everywhere. <laughs> At least that's what I try to do.
1: Yeah, certainly. <laughs> Well and so you also touched on this idea that you know when you are working with kids people expect you to be a nonprofit. So you know I'm curious as the company what what year was it when you started Project Game Time
0: 2015
1: 2015. 2015. So you know now that it's you know a few years later you're obviously established you know do you think that Positioning the company as a for-profit rather than a nonprofit has turned into a strength? Or is that still, you know, something that you struggle with, you know, in in helping people to understand what you're doing? Or how do you view that now that you're, you know, further into the business?
0: I'm not sure if I, I I could define it, whether it's a strength or a disadvantage. I just see it as a company that just does good stuff. Project game time and you know, we don't really use a bunch of statistics and metrics for evaluation. We use smiles, handshakes, and care and real honest responses. As far as the company is concerned, I do see it as a, as a new direction. I see it as an angle that maybe you know many companies haven't looked at or many entrepreneurs looking to get into this work hasn't looked at that as a direction or a lane. And I feel like Project Game Time is kind of setting that uh, leadership in that direction for others to look and say, wow, there is another way we can do this. This is not a, I have to do a nonprofit to do this work. And I've had conversations with a lot of young people, some mentees and some, you know, my friends who come up through the same pathway as I have. In the nonprofit, you're almost trained to think everything is nonprofit because I'm working with youth, and it's kind of hard for them to digest this idea that you really don't have to. If your intentions are good here in the heart, then you don't really have to worry about what this paperwork says, unless you have thing. You know, you may see that there's some uh, benefits to having the tax breaks and stuff like that, but. I mean, th- those are the real advantages and disadvantages. If you wanted to get into that, but as far as company-wise, yeah,
1: yeah, no, I think it's 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 a fascinating point, and the reason that I harp on it a little bit is because you know I think it's important for people to understand that just like we were talking about how you can have it all like in your in your personal life. It's so true in business as well. When there is a problem that you're looking to solve, nonprofit is certainly not the only option, and it's not even necessarily the best option. I mean, one of my mentors, Cole Hatter, he says, you know, nonprofits are inherently non-profitable, and it's true. You know, you're just constantly chasing your tail, you know, trying to fundraise and solicit donations versus you know there is real power in this idea of a business that is for profit and for cause you know not just a company that has you know a social responsibility program or corporate responsibility program you know as something to throw on their website and look good but really you know a, a mission that is inherent in the you know the the really core fabric of the business which is really what you've created and i think is is so incredibly impressive
0: i appreciate it thank you
1: so you know, how do you see Project Game Time evolving in the coming years? What's your vision for the company?
0: So we're actually in the midst of going very digital with Game Time. A lot of the things that we're uh, looking to incorporate now is how do we use, whether it's digital gaming, digital programming to enhance the experience and to build the relationships because we know that this is the direction that almost the world is in now. How do they stay connected? So we really don't want to um, turn our backs on what the future holds, but more so embrace what it is. And what I see client-wise, what we're trying to go is more corporate stuff. Still that same feeling that we can do for camps and camp staff, and camp people and kids, we can do for a lot of corporations that are kind of missing that piece, that, that social relationship building, that good feeling that I want to come to work because now I know that there's two people in here that have the favorite ice cream of cookie dough and they're <laughs> my best friends now. And I, did, I would have never known that in five years, but now I have something to relate to this person that's sitting two cubicles down from me that I haven't said a word to other than high and high. So I feel like there's a lot of that stuff that we are really trying to break into right now, corporate-wise training.
1: On a more personal level, Rick, you know, what does fulfillment really mean to you at this point in your career?
0: This might be a bit of sweet answer, but fulfillment to me would feel like if I died today, that I would be okay with all that I've done and all that I've given. I've been the most honest with myself and others, and I've given the best effort that I can do within my means to make people happy.
1: Oh my gosh, that is an incredibly beautiful answer. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, you know, talk to me about have there been any major transformations in terms of your mindset that you've needed to make as you've gone, you know, down this path of entrepreneurship and built this business?
0: Absolutely. One of the biggest, transformations would be the financial literacy. I come from a background where 401k meant nothing to me until I was almost 30 years old. Didn't understand it, didn't know it. The biggest transformation was now understanding what it means to have a legacy and to build a community through your family, how to lean on your family and be able to engage them and put them in places where they're going to be okay. And they can sustain themselves and others. I think a lot about what happens if for whatever reason, I, not even death, like, like if I just leave Project Game Time, like can it sustain itself? Can the people below me, can the people or my family, if I left it to my son, can they sustain that? Can they understand that? So I think the big chunk of my mindset now is about, you know, sustainability and forward training.
1: So how did you, you know, make that shift in your 30s in, in learning about financial literacy? You know, what, what actual action steps did you take? Were there books that you read? You know, how did you do that?
0: Well, I do a lot of research online. I like to brag and tell you, I have a master's in Google University.
1: I <laughs> love that.
0: Um, so I've done a lot of research online. I've leaned on a lot of my mentors that, um, that I've worked for, like one would be Adam Weiss from Oasis who would always push me and say, you need to make more money. How many kids do you have? You need to make more money. What's going to happen when so on and so forth happens? So, And then I have a friend, uh, I call him Corporate Joe. He's a finance guy um, and he's worked at the camp with us as well. So uh, he has given me some tools. I have book-wise, I'm just going to speak out these three books that I have that continue to circulate and help me learn more about financial literacy and also just development as an individual. One is um, Black Fortunes by Shamari Wills. And this book is about some of the first black millionaires and their history and how they got there. And I actually got to see this young man alive. He did a live reading and signed it for me. So that was so awesome and so powerful and inspiring. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm going to be honest, I probably got about 25% through it (laughs) before reading it. But this is one that's been talked about a lot. So I said, I need to have it just in my environment so that I could reference it and pick it up and take a good look at. And then this, um, one of my mentors, the CEO of Little Kids Rock referred this book to me. I started reading it as well. It's called Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard. Talks a lot about nonprofits and change and, and and also a lot of like personal discipline things and approaches and management and leadership that is good just to know. Um, so those are three books that kind of circulate in my space and keep me grounded and motivated as far as finance and life
1: stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Well, we will link to all three of those inside of the show notes. So if you want information, go there. And so Rick, I want to ask you, you know, one more question. What is you mentioned you have a son. What is the most important lesson that you, know, you really seek to instill in your child you know, as he's growing up and following in your footsteps?
0: Actually, I have two kids. One, one of my young men is in Atlanta. So Brandon, my youngest, is the one that is near me. So for both of them, and I do this all the time, I think the most important thing that I can instill in them is to build your legacy. By being honest and being who you are, that's how you build your legacy. You're writing your story on what people are gonna remember you by, and it will it will push you in a direction to where you're happy with what you're doing. I don't know if if people understand this, and maybe I should maybe I should say this this exact line to my kids. So thank you for reminding me. Is you can't put a price on peace of mind. You, you really can't like. This is peace of mind to me is, is the most valuable asset next to time. And they're so closely related. Right. You know, if you're not happy with what you're doing, you have to figure out how much work you have to put in to achieve that happiness for whatever reason. Youth development has always been known as something that, you know, doesn't pay well and gets looked at like, oh yeah, well people don't get paid much but you know they love it because it's rewarding and I think that that's a myth. I think you can change that. I've changed that. I wake up every day loving what I do. I'm a CEO that will walk into the middle of a gym and hit the whipping nay nay dance crazy with 120 kids at my age and have no problem feeling silly doing it because I've achieved. I have achieved and gotten to a level where I am happy on both ends of the spectrum. I'm not struggling, and I'm doing
1: what I love. Oh my goodness, Rick! What an incredible answer. I am just for all the listeners who can't see me right now. I'm just smiling from ear to ear. I just couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think it's easy to get into this place where where we're chasing the wrong things. I mean, at the end of the day anything that we want in life whether it be you know money anything material a change in our relationships a change in our circumstance the only reason we want anything is because of the feeling that we believe that it's going to bring us because we think that it's going to make us feel better in some way, feel more secure, feel more joy, feel more, you know, more peace of mind. You know, that's really what we're after at the end of the day is to, you know, like what we're doing and to, you know, feel that fulfillment and and feel that satisfaction and that peace of mind. And so, you know, I think that it's so important to, Remind ourselves of that often. And, you know, just like you said, you're teaching your kids to build their legacy. I think that, you know, as adults, we need to remind ourselves how important it is to be building our legacy. And so I really can't thank you enough for sharing that. Well, so as you know, Rick, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. Could you tell me what organization you're nominating and why it's so meaningful to you?
0: So the organization I'm nominating is BALSA, and that is an acronym for Big and Little Skills Academy. Okay, And the reason why I am nominating this organization is because this young man who's the CEO, his name is Jamil Lynch. And he comes from kind of similar, humble beginnings. And I've watched this young man flourish. He had a basketball career. He was a pro basketball player, but he caught an injury. And he decided now he's going to use his network and relationships to build this academy that allows young people from Brooklyn all the way to the Bronx to be able to have access to basketball skills and academic support. He's in classrooms all over, in public schools as well as charters. You know, when I look at myself, you know, a couple years back, I feel like he's just the same type of Rick Wagner person is going through life the way that he can and trying to achieve this, uh, this love of his game and youth development and put them all together and continue to bring smiles to people uh, in New York City.
1: Phenomenal. Well, we will link to that organization as well in the show notes and provide a lot of information there. And so, Rick, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and about Project Game Time?
0: Sure. You can go to, on Instagram, you could do the at Project Game Time as one word. That's at Project Game Time, one word, or you could go to ProjectGameTime.com projectgametime.com. I'll just give you a you know a, a spoiler alert. We'll show you a lot of like still shots and talk a lot of like of technically what we do. But if you want to see what the work looks like, if you want to see how active we get and, the, and where the energy is, you definitely want to log on to our Instagram page. And we also have some gear and stuff like that too. Shameless plug. We got the hoodies, the sweats, the leggings. We got it all.
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. I got to get my hands on some of that. <laughs> Rick, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: All right, everyone. That's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free, and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard. And we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to well and do good.co backslash Facebook. And I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.